scripture reading this morning will be from Matthew chapter 25, verses 31 through 45. Matthew 25, 31 through 45. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the people one from another as the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothing, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go visit you? The king will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are accursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison and you did not look after me. They, will, they also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? He will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. This is God's word. You may be seated. You know, before we pray, um, I think I'm going to uh, detour just just for about uh, just about a minute, uh, since we do have a getting started just a little bit earlier. I had not planned on talking about this uh, this morning, uh, but having having a little bit of time, uh, I think I'll take opportunity just to say something about our church. Um, our, our church is is in the middle of a large city. And not only that, we recognize that we live in this big, big world. And we recognize because of, of, of years of, of, of the study of God's Word and worship and, and through prayer and through being exposed to different ministries and missionaries and, and opportunities for service and Bible studies and evangelism, that, that what we do here as a church makes a difference, not just for the people, uh, the 800 or so odd, some odd people that are in this room, but makes a difference for people all over the world. And, uh, and, and that's why it's, it's, it's really important that we, we think very deeply and think profoundly about how we, how we use our money. And, and how, as stewards of the things that we have received from God, we use them to, to bless and to change and, and, and to help and to alleviate suffering wherever we find it. And, and to, because God, Christ is building His church here, that we make a difference all over the place. And that's why it's, it's really important that if, you, if you've not turned in that purpose card, uh, as your minister, I would just really encourage you to do that. Uh, basically, the process is this. 
uh, all these purpose cards come in, uh, whether electronically or, or hard copy, and one elder uh, or two see the amounts that come in, they add all of that up, and then they destroy those cards, and that number of all of those cards added up gives us the, the figure we're looking for for a weekly budget and a yearly budget for our church. Not just to keep the lights on and, and to make sure that uh, the air conditioning is working, but to really make a difference in people's lives. I mean, the money that we give in our budget is, is money that, that, that helps people when they're down and out pay an electric bill. What our budget is about is, is ministry. It's ministry to people who, who need clothing, who need food, who, who need a little bit of a helping hand. It's to put people in place all around the world and, and throughout this city and throughout the United States. You know, I think of uh, you know, Jim Smith and his, you know, his family running all over the United States sharing the gospel. Our money goes all over the place to make a difference, a gospel difference in people's lives. And that's why the, the, the filling out of that card is so important. It's, it's not just letting some folk know you know, what you're intending to give so that we can have, you know, a, a rather accurate bottom line. But in your filling out of that card, it's recognizing that, that what you're writing on that card represents something really bigger, as Steve was talking about, something bigger than you. That card represents ministry. That card represents a commitment to see God's Word, God's will, God's presence, God's love, God's forgiveness, God's grace go out in so many different directions from this place. And I had not intended on talking about all of that uh, this morning, but uh, we did, you know, through worship and sometimes you, you become inspired to say a couple of things. So if you've already turned it in, forgive, forgive me for taking up your time. But for those of you that have not turned it in, boy, be mindful and prayerful. Of, of, of what your contribution is really all about and how it, how it can be used to, to, to go into, to be funneled into a ministry and to go to places that are bigger than you and places that you would never go to in order for the gospel to have an impact on that person's life. Let's pray. Father, we're grateful, so grateful that you've, you've blessed us, that you have blessed us. We like this rain that has come upon our city, we are inundated with Your love and Your very presence, Father, as a, as a Father. And we're so grateful for this because it does give us joy and it gives us a peace and it gives us a confidence and a direction and it gives so much significance to our life, Father, a purpose and strength and, and, and a confidence and freedom from guilt. We're grateful for all of these things even when life is in the middle of a pit in the middle of a dark, dark pit. We know that we are not alone. We know that we are not alone. And that You work, Father, in our lives for our heads to be lifted up and to see all of eternity in front of us. We're grateful for this, Father. And this morning, as, as we think about these words that, that Edward has, has written for us as well as others, Father, uh, we pray that You will give us eyes to see it and ears to hear it in such a way that we're drawn closer to You and, and our knowledge base of Your character and of Your will in all of the universe 
specifically in our own heart, soul, and mind. Your will, Father, be done. We're grateful. So grateful. Increase our faith. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, one of the things that happens all the time now, every day you turn on the television, there's something about a presidential ad or some kind of a campaign notice. It's happening all over the place. And one of the cliches of American culture that has become popular again with the presidential campaign of Donald Trump is the famous phrase, what? You're fired. Now, when you think about it, kind of an odd statement. I mean, we know what it means, right? We know what it means to be fired, but where in the world did it come from? You're fired. Well, those that study business history and, and understand you know, the, 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 the business legacy in America believe that uh, John Patterson originated it. He was the founder of National Cash Register, was, was a very innovative in, in, individual in the, uh, in the last century. He uh, formulated ways to uh, or systemize you know, sales text techniques for salesmen. He also developed ways, and, and if, especially if you're an employee, this could kind of be a curse, but he developed a way to ev- evaluate the performance of employees. But one of the things that is noted all over the place about Patterson is that he was incredibly quirky and could be downright mean. In fact, um, one of the things that he did that is not a very good uh, business practice at all was that he had, a, he had a, a tendency to fire people intending to, to rehire them, but the point of firing them was to humiliate them and to break their spirit a little bit so that when he rehired them, they would be very congenial and malleable and, and flexible when it came to his wishes and what he wanted them to do. And so he had sort of a despicable way of firing people. What he would do is he would, he would send one of his salesmen, they wanted to fire, he'd send them out on a sales call, they'd go out, and as they were coming back, they'd see their desk being thrown out of the, the, the NCR business building window. And as you're walking up to the front door, all of a sudden your desk would, would go up in flames. And it was a very clear message that your desk is burned up, you don't have a desk, you don't have a place to work here. In other words, you're fired. One of the big values in our culture is power, is it not? You define power as the ability or the capacity to control other people or things, to make them do what it is that you want them to do. It starts a long time before we get to the business world. Bullies in the playground. Mean girls in middle school hallways. Unfortunately, there are some coaches, there are some teachers who wield their power over students in abusive ways. We say that we're electing public servants. In reality, most of the time, what we're electing are power brokers. Lord Acton said it a long time ago, but it's still true today. You know the statement, power tends to corrupt, and absolute power, say it with me, corrupts absolutely. History, as you know, full of tyrants. The history of the world is mean, despicable despots who wielded power in disastrous ways. Believe it or not, that's one of the the, the backstories or the the themes, underlying themes of the whole Star Wars trilogies that have, have come out. George Lucas, in an interview with Wired Magazine a couple of years ago, said the story being told in Star Wars is a classic one. Every few hundred years the story is retold because we have a tendency to do the same thing over and over and over again. Power corrupts, and when you're in charge, you start doing things you think are right, 
but they're actually not. End of quote. It's power. It's power. And we all want it. And even if we don't wield power over a lot of people, we have a staff, we have a group of people that we're able to control or we have some authority over, we want that even in our own personal bubble. Our own personal individual sphere, we want power. In the American culture, we want to be self-determined. Most Americans don't like to be told what to do or who to be, right? Our mantra is, I decide. It's my choice. But here's the thing. The more power that we perceive that we have, the harder it is to hear the word no. Makes us angry. You ever wonder why people get so angry when the answer to their prayer by God is no? Everyone knows the story of Moses. One of the most interesting things written about Moses is found in a parenthetical statement in Numbers 12. The writer, the the guy that is recording all of this history, puts in a parenthetical statement that Moses was a very, the word is actually meek, the New New NIV puts humble, he was a very meek man, more humble than anyone else or more meek than anyone else on the face of the earth. What is ironic is that arguably Moses is the most powerful individual, most powerful human being on the planet. He and his walking stick. He and his big stick were involved in the destruction of the most powerful nation on the planet at that time, Egypt. God had worked His great power through Moses, but Moses is humble. And Moses is meek. You know, over in the New Testament, Jesus says, Blessed are the meek. Blessed are the meek. They'll inherit the earth. And then to kind of make that challenge have a little bit of teeth in it, he says, beginning in the same chapter, verse 38, you've heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Just about every area that we exercise power in our own individual life is addressed right there. And if nothing else, these verses should convince us that there is a different way, that there is a better way to live than the acquisition of power and doing only what we want to do or focusing on our lives as the center of the universe. And the great news is this. There is. Jesus not only teaches it, but models it. Now, before we go there, you know... if there's an encouraging thing about this, we're not the only generation, the only culture, the only group of people that have ever struggled with power and how to, how to live in a, a nation or a culture that really craves power. This is, this is a, 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 his, a world history long issue. We're not the only ones to struggle with this. Believe it or not, the apostles 
who have been walking with Jesus for three years, they struggle with this as well. Three times in the Gospel, Jesus has to stop what He's doing and address this grab for power and the desire to be the greatest. And what's so amazing about that and ironic is that these are the very guys, these 12 men are the guys who are walking down the road with Him and eating with Him and sleeping at night in the same tent with Him or the same cave with Him and they see His ministry, they hear His words and they're struggling with this. They saw that He ate with nobodies, that He ministered to people that were down and out. That He gave of Himself, that He was about serving other people, not just to relieve their, their, their physical pain, but to minister to people as a servant in such a way that His Word of life went out to all of them. In other words, in just watching His life, one of the things that they should have picked up is that the Kingdom of God confronts culture. The Kingdom confronts culture. In Mark chapter 9, Jesus asks, as they're going down the road, asks what they're arguing about on the road. They're arguing over who's going to be the greatest. He responds in verse 35, anyone who wants to be first must be the very last and the servant of all. And then over in Luke chapter 22 and in John chapter 13, you know, it's the Last Supper. We're kind of chronologically moving to the very last one here. They're at the Last Supper and they're arguing over who is going to be the greatest. I mean, Jesus is about to die on the cross. He's been telling them over and over again. There are three consecutive chapters in Mark's Gospel where He deals with this in straightforward language to help prepare them for the fact that even though they recognize Him as the Messiah and the King and the Son of God, the Son of the living God, He is going to die on the cross. And here they are at the Last Supper in Luke chapter 22. And what are they arguing about? Who's going to be the greatest? And so Jesus stops what He's doing. He says, you know, the King of the Gentiles lorded over them. Those who exercise authority over them call themselves benefactors. But you are not to be like that. Instead, the greatest among you should be like the youngest and the one who rules like the one who serves. For who is greater, the one who is at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who is at the table? But I am among you as one who serves. And what happens next in John 13? He loves them. And he knows he's going back to God. That he come from God and he's going back to God. But he sees this in them. And he gets up and he does the most vile, disgusting thing that another human being could do in terms of uh, domestic service in that part of the world in, in that time. And that is to wash their feet. And then Mark 10, that's the third one. They're on their way to Jerusalem. James and John, these brothers, they see an opportunity to make a request. They make it. They have the opportunity. Why not do it, right? You ask not. You receive not because you ask not, right? That's what James would say. The other James, the brother of Jesus. So James and John see this opportunity to make a request. Uh, Jesus, can we talk to you for a minute? Step over to the side. I am this olive tree. As my brother and I were thinking, when you come into your power, one of us sit on the right, one of us sit on the left. Now that kind of makes sense, right? Their dad is a business owner. Big fishing business on the north end of the Sea of Galilee. They're nicknamed Boanerges. Why? Sons of Thunder. 
That's what it means. They're nicknamed sons of thunder. Why? Because they were passive, docile, domesticated men of the Middle East? No, 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 no. They lived their lives like thunder. They lived their lives like thunder. Can we sit one at the right, one at the left? To them, the greatest is the guy that's going to be in charge. The other ten hear about this, and you can guess what they said. Yes, 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 yes. No, they were upset, right? Incredibly indignant and angry. And Jesus, as they're on their way to Jerusalem there in Mark chapter 10, you know, he is, he's seeing his group of guys begin to fuss with one another. And he says, you know, in Mark chapter 10, verse 42, you know that those who are regarded as the rulers of the Gentiles, Lord it over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must become a what? Say it, church. Jesus is telling them, a key to life. You want to be great? Be a servant. And whoever wants to be first must be a, there's a politically incorrect word here, slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve the most powerful man, the best man, the most righteous man, the man without blemish. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give His life as a ransom for many. The greatest person who ever walked the earth was a servant. He teaches multitudes who go out of their way to hear Him. He heals people of illnesses and sicknesses that were thought to be incurable. He brings people back with just a word from the dead. And yet, He surrenders His crown, He surrenders His scepter and picks up a cross. It's so counterintuitive, is it not? It's so counterintuitive, but it tells us something incredibly important, that service is a kingdom value. If you want to be great in the kingdom of God, become a servant. If you want to be great, become a servant. If you want to be a great human being in the kingdom of God, you become a servant. Service is a kingdom value. You know, last week at the, uh, we looked at the teaching of Jesus that He was giving during the last week of His life. He kind of ramps it up. He comes in on Sunday. Uh, everybody's hailing Him to be the Messiah and the King and the, the appointed and the anointed one. He begins knowing that on Thursday He's going to be arrested and on Friday He's going to be dead. He begins in sort of this last-ditch teaching effort to ramp it up a little bit by introducing this element of judgment to His teaching. People will take it serious. There's an edge to it. And one of the stories he tells is about the talents that we looked at last week. The point is not what you accumulate in this life, but what you did with what you were given. That's one of the ways that your life will be evaluated. And then Jesus tells a second story right after it. It's the one we're going to look at right now very quickly. That's equally famous. It's sheep and it's goats in Matthew chapter 25. And Jesus says, you know what? Think about the end of time. I don't know what you think the end of time is going to look like, but let me give you an image, Jesus says to the crowds. He says, people are going to be divided like goats and sheep. The way that they're divided from each other, that's the way it's going to be at the end. The sheep are going to go to a place of reward. The goats are going to go to a place of ugliness. And so it forces a question. And the people are going, wow, you know, I get that. I mean, sheep and goats and sheep and goats. And the sheep are going to one place. The goats are going to another. The question that follows is, 
Am I a sheep or a goat? Now the interesting thing in this story is that what you believe is never mentioned. Who you become based on what you believe is the thing that Jesus is trying to get across. What you believe is important. But the point of the story is who you become because of what you believe is the important thing. This is not about working your way into heaven. It's about becoming the human being that Jesus intended for you always to be. Your actions demonstrate and reveal what is in your heart and in your mind and in your soul. It's not just your words, Matthew chapter 12, that reveal what's in your heart. He says, think about the sheep. This is what the sheep are doing. The sheep are feeding the hungry. They're giving drink to the thirsty. They're taking care of strangers, which cannot be that easy in a a country where they didn't have holiday inns and and chilies and olive gardens. You had to invite them in. It took an investment of time. They took care of strangers. They clothed the naked. They took care of the sick. And they visited the prisoners. And Jesus said, well done. You know what? You may not have known this, but when you were doing it to them, you were doing it to me. And they were surprised. They said, when did we see it? When did we ever see you like this? And Jesus says, listen, when you were doing it to them, you were doing it to me. Which indicates that they were not trying to work their way into heaven. They were working out what Jesus had done to them. The goats, on the other hand, did not get involved in the least. They would have done it if they had known that it was Jesus. I mean, it's Jesus for crying out loud. Of course, everybody and anybody would have done it. It's the Lord of the world, the Creator. Of course you're going to feed Him when He's hungry but they're not going to do it for anybody else. It's service, people. It's what you do with what you've been given and what you do with your life. The University of Michigan at Yale a year or so ago got together some researchers to study how people coped with unglamorous, underappreciated work. I mean, for a minute, just think about all of the people that have sort of unglamorous work. It's unappreciated. It's not glamorous at all. Think about all of the different types of work that are out there that we consider to be like that. They choose to study hospital janitors. They discovered a janitorial staff at a major hospital in the Midwest who did not see themselves as janitors. They saw their work of service as part of the healing process of the patients. They were the custodians who got to know the patients and their families. They were ready with boxes of Kleenex or a bottle of water. They were always speaking a word of encouragement, rearranging the pictures on on the walls of the patients who were comatose, thinking that that change might have some kind of a positive effect. They saw their work, though underappreciated and unglamorous, They saw their work that did not get the grandiose vibe that other professions might get. They saw their work of service as making a difference in people and their future. You know, there's just all kinds of things to do when you get right down to it. All kinds of ministries. All kinds of things. And some of them, you know like preaching or maybe song leading or leading a communion devotional. It's up in front in public. And, but there's so much that's done behind the scenes. And there's so much that, that goes 
you know, unnoticed. You know, one of the things that we do at the end of each year is we just talk about all of the things that God has done through our church, kind of a year in review kind of a deal. One of the things that I always try to do is to recognize those people that never get recognition, to talk about the people that are doing things behind the scenes that you never know about except if they didn't do their job. You do that kind of job for very long, you begin to wonder if you're crazy for doing it. And there are a lot of you, and we could always use a lot more, who spend a lot of your free time getting classrooms decorated and lessons put together in order to teach little kids about Jesus. Because you know that the future leaders and members of our church and the church around the world begin as children. And sometimes you don't get recognized and sometimes people underappreciate the amount of work that you put in during the week. You don't get a lot of thank yous. But I'm here to tell you, you are not crazy. There are those who take their vacation time to take a mission trip someplace and eat that crazy weird food and to do the sometimes despicable work of trying to raise money and you pray and you overcome fear of flying in order to help someone in a far off place whose name you can't even pronounce get acquainted with Jesus. You're not crazy. Some of you do things behind the scenes like mow lawns and fix gutters and hang doors for people who need those kinds of things done and can't do it for themselves. And sometimes even people in leadership like myself don't even know that it's going on. You don't get recognized. You don't get a thank you. It's never public. I'm here to tell you in the eyes of God, you're not crazy. There are people who come up here and feed people after a funeral who are grieving And who are not always at their best, but they need something to eat. Or they come up on a Wednesday afternoon to feed 150 people to help them, to make it easy for them to feed their family and to get to the Bible class. You're not crazy. Or those of you who go to the care cottage and meet people who are down and out and sometimes not at their best because they're afraid or they're angry or they're frustrated or sometimes mentally they're struggling a little bit, but they need food and they need clothing. And you give of your time on Wednesday mornings and Friday mornings and even other times during the week to make sure that that place is taken care of and it's ready to go and to meet those clients. You're not crazy. And those of you who are in your neighborhood are helping to take care of the people in your neighborhood and watching out for those little kids and, and doing things for your neighbors and inviting them over to eat and listening to them when they have trouble... And nobody really knows about it. And you just go, you know, it just seems like it's endless, endless, endless. Or people at work. Will you serve people? You're not crazy. Jesus Himself said, if you want to be great in My kingdom, you got to serve. And it's so counterintuitive. But you are not Because all we're doing is walking in the steps of the One who had that perfect harmony with God and the Spirit, the Christ, the Son, God the Son, who according to Philippians chapter 2, left all of that because He saw a need. He saw a need. Which called Him to leave that perfect harmony that He had with God the Father and God the Spirit in, in all of eternity 
to come and to become a human being like us. And not just a human being, but, but, but a servant. And not just a servant, but somebody who was obedient even to death. And not just death, but death on a cruel, cruel, brutal cross in order for any of us and all of us who are here this morning to have any way of finding our way to God. Now, was he crazy? Ben's going to lead us in a song right now. Our spiritual leaders, our shepherds are going to be up here at the front. You may want to know more about this gospel and what it is that Jesus did on the cross to save us from our sins. Or there might be some things on your heart that you would like for our church to be praying about. Whatever those needs are, our shepherds are going to be down here at the front. We want you to come down and talk to them right now as we stand and praise God together. Lord, make me.